0: Cabin Broadcast.
1: This is the Lotus Bloom Podcast, and here is your host, Morgan Wiley.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Lotus Bloom podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Wiley. I hope wherever you are that you are staying safe and healthy and sane, or at least doing the very best that you can. I think during this time of COVID-19 and really any time of challenge or trauma or hard things that are out of our control, especially as, as creatives, it's hard to stay creative. And we're gonna talk about that today. My next guest is author S.M. Boyce. She is known for her action-packed epic fantasy series, The Grimoire Saga. She creates powerful heroes and riveting magical stories. And I'm excited to have her share with you today. And while she is a writer, she is so much more. She's a multi-passionate creative with a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom to share. So even if you are not a reader or a writer, Uh, Stay with us because she's going to cover all kinds of things from pen names, why and when to use them, magic systems in fantasy. We're going to talk about what she's working on now, but we're also going to talk about your hobbies and burnout and COVID-19 and the trauma that is affecting us all on various levels you're also going to hear how voice tries so wonderfully hard to uh refrain from using any language in this episode. I had told her that I created this podcast with my daughter in mind because she has been wanting to listen to some of the podcasts I listen to and quite honestly she can't yet or at least I'd prefer her not to and so I wanted to make this family friendly so that she could listen. So thank you to boys for trying your hardest. I really appreciate it. So as you can tell already we are going to cover the gamut. So, stay with us, and I hope you enjoy this interview with author S.M. Boyce. Hello, friend. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. I am really excited to be here. This is so fun. Awesome. So, will you just take a minute and introduce yourself to our listeners and share what it is you do? No. <laughs> <laughs> And there you have it, Boyce's personality right there. (laughs) Bye, y'all. Good talking to you.
1: Um, My name is S.M. Boyce. I am a fantasy novelist, and um, I have a couple secret pen names, but I am most known for The Rumor Saga so far, and I have several series coming out in 2020 that I am super stoked about.
0: Woohoo! I'm excited, too. So did you always want to write, or how did this journey start for you? That's a good question. I, I am one of those
1: aliens who has always known what they wanted to do, uh, awesome. even when I told myself that what I wanted was wrong. Because, you know, there's that period I think every writer goes through where they're like, but writing isn't a real job. And it's <laughs> it's kind of not, but that's the best part about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted to be a lawyer at one point. I wanted to, what else was there? There was an actress, which I still kind of want to do like voice acting and stuff. Um, oh, musical theater it was all very uh either writing or performance based which even a lawyer is performance based if you're in the courtroom so I thought that was really interesting when I looked back at that kind of history of what I wanted to be princess was never on there surprisingly I did want to be a mermaid that was high on my list though
0: (laughs) I could see you as maybe like a a ninja princess
1: princess That's so flattering. Thank you. That is, that is a great compliment that I will cherish through the rest of my days. <laughs> Ninja princess. putting that on the wall. I almost cussed. <laughs> I am really trying to be as PG as possible. You may need to believe me at some point, but I will do my darndest.
0: You're good. Okay. So at what point did you really make a go at writing as a, as a career? As
1: a career. Um, Okay. Well, specifically as a career, that would be 2011 when I published my first book. But I published in November. That was Lich Gates' first book in the Grimoire Saga, which I wrote, funny enough, on a Superman sleep schedule while I worked as a software tester because my other gift is in breaking software. And uh, (laughs) I'm really good at it. So
0: they hired you to
1: break their software? That is literally my job. My job was to find weaknesses, bugs, vulnerabilities. And, and it was so funny um, to have, like, there were, there were a couple times where the programmers would look over my shoulder while I was testing. And I always kind of like look back at them like, hey, how can I help you? Hmm. And they're like, we just are completely baffled by what you're doing right now. This is not. <laughs> This is not in any way the use case we were expecting. You're so hard on the software, and I just respond with "You're welcome." So go sit down. I I'll, I'll have books for you in a bit.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So, um,
1: so I was I decided to write my first book in January of 2011, and I have been working on it since I was 2016, or 2016. I've been working on it since I was 16. Since I was like, uh, oh wow, 2004. How old am I? No. I, it was a while <laughs> before I actually wrote the book. I'd been world building the Grimoire Saga series for a long time. And, and I hadn't really believed it was possible to actually like do it as a living. I always thought it would be this hobby I had. Um, okay. But reading it was a passion growing up, you know, how I read instead of going to birthday parties. So it was just, it was what I loved to do. <laughs> and I got such a, a thrill out of all those adventures and getting to live all those lives and through all the stories. And, um, there were just this, this idea was, it's actually started out as Harry Potter fan fiction and evolved into something far beyond anything. It, it started out as, and, um, oh, wow in 2011, after I had shared the story with my husband, I, he was the first person then my fiance that I had ever shared it with. And he's like, you need to write this. This is fantastic. This is so <laughs> intricate and fun. And, you know, so that was, that was really great, um, encouragement that I had from him and my parents. They were always very, very encouraging. Very lucky I know that. Very cool. And then in 2011, I started, I I had a a writing degree, actually. um, Okay. Because it was always a passion. I graduated with a writing and marketing dual degree uh, for Florida State University. And um, I just had always assumed that I, you know, write for fun and get paid through the marketing. <laughs> but when I uh, started to really research the industry and, and when you're classically trained as a writer, they just tell you, traditionally published, you're lucky to get 15%. You have to share a lot of that with your agent, that's life, mm-hmm. suck it up. Mm-hmm. That's basically what they teach you. And yeah. in 2011, um, Amanda Hawking was big. Uh, Jay Conrad yes. was really big with his newbie guide to publishing. And the more I researched indie publishing, the more the business side of my, of my brain was kicking in and thinking, I don't have to do it the way I was taught. And um, you know, there's nothing against traditional publishing. I think for some sure. people, it is a wonderful choice. And I plan to traditionally publish at some point in the future, but what I wanted to do first was build my audience so that when I come to a traditional publisher, when I come to an agent in the future and become a hybrid author, mm-hmm. I come with an audience. I come with yeah, smart strategy, marketing, a whole pipeline already built into what I do and that makes for you know as an author it makes me more viable to publishers to come in it that way
0: absolutely and yeah um,
1: so I've always approached it from this entrepreneurial business mindset because that's how I was raised and that's what my degrees in.
0: very cool that's a long answer I don't know if that's the answer nope. you were looking for <laughs> no it's great you just you kind of answered my next question so I was trying oh. to figure out where I was going next you're welcome <laughs>
1: I'm
0: also excited. You're till Thursday. Awesome! <laughs> oh, it'll make this interview so much easier. <laughs> That's my goal. Life, life
1: should I'll be I'll just
0: unique. let you talk. Okay, just just <laughs> let me ramble for a solid hour. Like, okay, i next
1: podcast. Bye.
0: <laughs> so you mentioned pen names. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Why Why would someone choose to use a pen name? Sure.
1: Um, there's a lot of reasons. One is to experiment in a new genre, mm-hmm. but I think most importantly, the reason why you want a pen name is if you are writing in a genre that is that does not have a crossover audience. Mm-hmm. For instance, my pen names are in uh, romance, specifically fantasy romance, and the reason okay. I have two fantasy romance pen names is the first one was a total um, experiment, sure. <laughs> it was kind of an experiment a little wrong. So I, 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 rebranded and relaunched with the new one. And that's, that's why there are two for the same genre. And typically I don't recommend you do that. But, um, the, the nice thing about pen names is you can screw it up and no one cares. Yeah. I just censored myself twice. So I'm really trying. <laughs> doing okay. um, so you, you can make mistakes and it doesn't matter. And so typically, uh, and and a lot of times when you look at Amazon and specifically curiously, you see this very frequently, if not the most in uh, romance genres, you will see names that are very obviously not someone's first and last name. And so you see pen names a lot in erotic fiction, but in romance in general, like with rom-coms and all of that, there's this branding element to mm-hmm. your name and, and your name needs to sound relatable. It needs to sound fun. It needs to sound maybe funny. Your name is part of your brand when you are in romance specifically. And so I think that's why typically you see so many pen names in romance, uh, probably yeah. more so than you see in other genres. Now that's, that's not, Backed by anything, that's just kind of my gut, and I'm totally okay with being wrong. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I, I've seen that as well. I, I would agree with that statement. Cool. Okay. It's definitely interesting. Yeah, but I, I think that the most important
1: reason why you would want a pen name is if you don't have the crossover audience, and that's because um, if somebody's following you, they follow your Amazon page or they have, you know, they're on their, your email list or whatever, but they look you up on Amazon and they know you for hard sci fi. Like mm-hmm. hard sci-fi, no wiggle room, no hand waving. That's what they love. That's what they read, and they really love that you write that. Yeah. If you then release a rom-com, they're going to wonder what in your life fractured. They're going to be so confused, and they might stop reading you entirely. There is that risk mm-hmm. now. A yeah. Le- some authors have this magnetism to where they can release absolutely anything and people love it. anything. But if you look, if you look at all, even, even 1% authors, you know, Stephen King is the exception to this. He's been in this realm so much longer than any of us that I think he gets away with things. The rest of us maybe won't, but mm-hmm. it, there are other authors. You see a lot of what they write is very niched. It, it is very focused, even if it's not within like a subgenre of a major one, like even if it's not urban fantasy only, even if they have like epic fantasy, urban fantasy, maybe a little portal fiction like that, it's blended. um, They are still under the umbrella of fantasy, like Neil Gaiman is evidence for that. Pretty much everything he's done, with the exception of the occasional poem or charity work, uh, it tends to be fantasy driven because that's just what he likes to do. But if he released a murder mystery that had absolutely no supernatural component to it, and it was like a cut and dry murder mystery, I think a lot of his fans would be like I love you Weird. dude but <laughs> well, what are do you, do you doing, doing? <laughs> I'm so confused you know and we saw what? that too with JK Rowling when she launched yeah. her pen name um Cuckoo something?
0: Oh. I don't remember what it was oh shoot I had it in my head I just lost it well anyway
1: she released a, a mystery and it's totally okay for writers to want to write multiple things that's that's normal we're we are all over the place. We want to do all the things. But when it comes to your launch strategy, I do think that especially as a self-published author, but also this is true of traditionals as well, uh, it's very important that you weave strategy mm. into your online presence. Like There is nothing wrong with having multiple pinnings at all. There's it, It's a little more work, but... In the end, I think that extra work will be worth it. And, and there are people who disagree with that, and that's totally okay. I have an assistant, and she's she helps me keep everything together and, and everything moving. And I think this would be very difficult to do on my own, but it would be doable. It would just take a lot more time.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you, is how challenging is it for you to to switch back and forth or to be you know, the other person or to try to keep track of two different um, names? I would find that challenging.
1: Yeah, it is challenging. Um, and as an author, especially in the self-publishing sphere, you just, you wear a lot of hats. You do a mm-hmm. lot of jobs. You are the publisher. You are the marketer. You are the advertiser. Sometimes you're the assistant. <laughs> uh, you're the creator. Yeah. You're the the um, brand manager. You, you do all these things. And I really think it's important to um, really keep in mind why you're doing all this. Yeah. Because if you lose track of that why, that motivation, that that purpose-driven gumption, you're mm-hmm. you're gonna derail. Yeah. And that's what you see oh, a lot yeah. of. You see a lot of people who who try to do everything all at once and they burn out. And like, of course, if, if you feel like you have to do all the things right now, of course you're gonna burn out. And that I've been there and it sucks. So finding all the ways you can to build in structures mm-hmm. is really important. And I think that, you know, like for me, part of my structures is actually how I build my day. And I used to work every single day. I used to write six to eight hours a day. I would rarely take off. And you know, effing shocker, I, sorry, it is so hard to so censor, it derails me completely. <laughs> Those sounds so good. <laughs> I'm just gonna try to, uh, okay, shocker, it burned <laughs> <fine>. me out. <laughs> I, I cuss like a sailor, y'all, this is hard. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it burned me out. And, and so yeah. part of my structure now is, I build in time to like just play and go do whatever feels right. Sometimes it's I'm going to go play animal crossing for eight hours. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> it is, you know, what I really feel like writing all of my social media for the next two weeks mm-hmm. today. So what I do is I get up at the same time every day. And that actually is, is a big component of like getting good sleep is having that structure of getting up and going to bed at the same time every day. So good. get up and that first three hours of my day, is writing and that's okay. just a non-negotiable and then lunch and then whatever I want to do. And usually this is where I do my admin, my marketing stuff like that. I have a couple other projects that I'm working on. So this is also when I do that kind of stuff. And it's very open. It's like, what do I, what, what do I feel called to do today? And I usually have a list of everything I want to do this week. And I just pick from it. And that kind of helps me have a bit of freedom, but at the same time, make sure I'm getting everything done. And my mm-hmm. team uses ClickUp, which is a free service. ClickUp is really great for, um, you know, If I think of something, and I'm like, okay, well, this is definitely my assistant, my assistant's wheelhouse, then I just mm-hmm. create the task, assign it to her, put a due date on it, and I know it's handled because that task isn't going away until she's done. Mm-hmm. And um, That's cool. Yeah. So when you start to build in structures like that, you start to realize like, oh, okay, I can breathe now because I know it's going to be handled. I think that when you have so much to do, the biggest fear is something slipping through the cracks. But if you build the structures to avoid that, then you'll be okay.
0: I think that's great, and that's it's so good uh, to recognize that, like you said, because burnout is real, and we get so overwhelmed by all of the little things and oh, trying yeah. to fit it all in. That it also it just kills our creativity, and we have to have that time to play and to be re-energized and to be able, you know, to be able to keep creating. So I think that's huge you know, for you to be able to have found that structure and, but loosely so that you can play. And I think that's really cool. Thank you.
1: Yeah. I've um, been exploring a lot of masculine and feminine energy. And and I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to derail because this is like 12 podcasts just talking about this, (laughs) but you know, a lot of times people mistake masculine feminine energy for like gender roles and it's actually not the same thing. We all possess both within us. And it's maybe not labeled totally correctly because I think people get caught up in the name, but like masculine energy tends to be more of the structures and feminine energy tends to be more of the creativity and the play. And it's all about a give and take between the two. And it's this fluid back and forth that you do throughout the day. So um, what I really started to realize was I like to be more in that creative, you know, air quote, feminine energy. Mm -hmm. Most like that's my central core, but without the structures in place from the air quote masculine energy, then my, I would just be, like, out in the back mm-hmm. playing with my dog all day, you know? Like, <laughs> so, so it's all about finding that balance. And when I really started yeah. to study those energies and how they're present in all of us, I started to really get in tune with, okay, what, what do I need? And what I need isn't the same thing as you need. It's not the same as yeah. people who are listening. All of us need a different balance in our day and, and come from it one or, you know, Typically, you, you come from either more of the structured energy or more of the flowing energy. You're, you're happiest in one of those two. But again, 12 other podcasts. We don't have to get into right
0: now. Oh, well, hey, we can come back and do it some more. <laughs> I'll talk about no, that, I love that all day. I love that, though. I love that that there is that balance. But like you said, we all have our own balance. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's really cool and important to be aware of that and to to learn that about ourselves.
1: Yeah, definitely. and And to... Forgive yourself as you learn, because I think we're raised in this kind of hyper vigilant society. That's like you should have all of your stuff figured out and you're not allowed to feel uncertain about things. And really, you Mm -hmm. needed to get all that stuff done like yesterday. So, you know, hop hop (laughs) on, let's go. Um, But having forgiveness for yourself
0: as you figure it out
1: and experiment and play with it and tweak it. I think that's really important to avoiding burnout.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's good. I think sometimes, even for myself, like, we could be nervous about experimenting and trying, well, because, well, well, what if I try something and, you know, then I don't get anything done because I'm not doing what I normally do. And But I think that it's cool to be able to experiment and to find a, a better way of, of being for ourselves. Yeah, and part of experimenting is screwing up.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, every time you make a mistake, go, oh, okay, well, that didn't work. I spent the Mm -hmm. first three months of this year getting very little done and being absolutely frustrated with myself about it. Unfairly. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't productive by any means Mm -hmm. to give myself crap for it. So, sorry, now I'm like, well, is that a cuss word? Should I? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think about this way too much. Don't don't stress. Crap is fine. (laughs) Crap is fine. Okay, good. Um, But yeah, it's like, as long as you learn what worked and what didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had a coach tell me this um, every time something doesn't go the way you want it to, or you know, honestly, even when it goes brilliantly well, ask yourself what works, what didn't, mm-hmm. what can I do differently next time? Mm-hmm. And that is the best way to no longer be afraid of failure because it's not mm-hmm. failure anymore. It's just a lesson. It's brilliant. And even if, you know, even when you succeed, that's probably something you could have done differently. So learning from your successes too, Sure. it's just, it's such a a freer way to look at life.
0: Absolutely. Yes. I like that. That's good. Okay. Well, before we move on, I have to say it because it was going to bother me, but, um, JK Rowling's book was the cuckoo's calling and she used the pseudonym Robert Galbraith. Right. And
1: curiously, you'll notice what she did there was very strategic. Typically, men do better in that genre. So yeah, she had a male pen. That's interesting. So like, it, it doesn't matter what level you're at. It's important to use strategy when it comes to your pendings, Um and mm-hmm. be okay with understanding marketing and demographics. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Now, if that sucks all the fun out of it for you, then yeah, absolutely don't don't do it. If, you, if you're not enjoying this, don't do it. But I, I just think it's so interesting that she had a, a male name
0: for that. All right. Well, good good uh, interruption there. Yeah. Well, let's let's move on. Okay. So, I want to make sure and mention this because I have you on the show, but uh, you had sent in your outlining process to me yeah. for my other segment on um, "It's Time to Write," and we shared that in, uh, I believe it's episode twelve. And I just want to make sure I mentioned that people can go check that out because your outlining process is definitely worth mentioning. It's thank you. Um. It's a craft unto itself. I know that you have, you have worked really hard to create oh, it to you. be that. Uh, I have literally made a
1: course on it. It's So far, it's only for the writers that I mentor. Um, it's, that's amazing. You should. I found that when I teach, I cement the concept for myself. And I also realize what I don't know. Because when I'm trying to teach someone something and they come to me with a question, I'm like, Wow that's an amazing question and I don't have the answer. Let me get back to you. Mm -hmm. And I go have a deep dive crash course in it and I come back. And so when I teach, it really cements the concepts for me. And um, for the writers that I mentor, I created a plot structure course, Um, Mm -hmm. world building characters and immersive writing. I'm still love it. Yeah. The plot structure course is done. Um, The other three are so massive. They were originally one. And, and, and when I saw how absolutely overwhelmingly massive it was, I decided that I wasn't a total jerk and I was going to make it easier for them to actually <laughs> use. So I broke it up into three. Um, but yeah, the awesome. it was, it was really fun. And the more I put in there, the more I learned, like I, I made, um, one of the sections is on magic systems, which is crucial in fantasy Ooh. and as I was designing it, I realized that a, a lot of what I had been doing up to that point was uh, intuitive, based on all, all the fantasy that I've been reading. Hmm. A lot of what I've doing was doing with um, soft magic too. Do you know about the magic systems and um, Brandon Sanderson's rules for magic? I do not. Okay, so I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I when I started researching more, because I knew of Brandon Sanderson and I knew he had rules. For magic, it's one of the um, the things he's most famous for is his basically his theory on magic. Okay. And the more I dove into that, the more I realized there was a lot I didn't know, and it was so great to get in there and and start to understand. Okay, hard magic versus soft magic. Hard magic is misfortune. Hard magic is there are set rules, uh-huh. and it and it's almost like magic is science. Uh,
0: okay. You know, a yeah.
1: plus B equals C every time. Okay. Whereas if you look at soft magic, which is more Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, a wizard did it. It's just the wizard, you know, hand wave, it's fine. Um, That's more kind of ethereal. And you notice that a lot of times in soft magic systems, the people actually telling the story don't have magic because magic in and to itself is more about making men feel small. It's kind of that almost religious fervor to it, that Hmm. otherworldly I don't know if i'll ever understand it feeling that we get when we think about the universe or where we fit in there or all the unknown questions that we have even in our world and so magic on both sides of that spectrum has an integral part in the story and it's all about how your magic weaves into your plot and your world building okay. and so there's this entire world pun intended, of <laughs> <laughs> of of theory just in magic systems and that was one little Oh wow. Of my course. And so I got to do these deep dives and just explore and learn and that's one of my favorite things to do in life is learn. And the more I learn, the more I absorb, the more I can you know compress it into a uh-huh. useful little nugget and then hand it to someone. Oh, I love <laughs> that. That. So that feels really good. So that whole process is kind of how I learn. I
0: absorb, I
1: process and then I, I teach and I you know, mm-hmm. I give it to someone else. And that helps
0: me internalize it. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to check those out. Well, I don't sell them. They're not public. Oh, well,
1: <laughs> girl, get on that. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. It's like, and this is totally a limiting belief in my head that I probably need to get over. But I kind of haven't wanted to be some kind of writing guru because it felt, yeah, it just felt weird. It felt like, but I'm not Stephen King. <laughs> Why should you buy a course for me? Go buy one from Neil Gaiman. He's uh, got this. You know, like, <laughs> go over there. Um but the more I do this, uh, the more I realize how much of a limiting belief that really is. And and I just want to be really careful how I position myself yeah. in the field. I, writing is always my passion. Talking to readers is one of my greatest passions. And I just don't ever want to lose that sure. for the sake of teaching writing. And I'm, and there's, I don't necessarily have to, right? That's right. not a give or take. right? Game. And again, it's... Can you guess who my idol is, <laughs> 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 um, Neil, Neil He is, he is. And um, he's a great example of somebody who writes fabulous work but also teaches. So, okay. you know, that is that is a possibility for my future is, is, is all of that. Okay.
0: We'll, see. well, yeah, we'll let that evolve as it is meant to and keep us posted.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If I launch,
0: you will be the first one to know. Fantastic, because mm-hmm. I learn a lot from you, and you—you oh, so you inspired me to use uh, your index card process. And oh, really? Yeah, and I've loved using that. So I—I've put that into my own outlining process, which that has elaborated in and of itself because of of how you do yours. Um, I That is so cool. Well, and I'm definitely not on the extent that you're i mean y'all you got to listen to that episode cuz <laughs> it's don't very in-depth word <laughs> That was crazy the craziest part of it, morgan is that was the short version <laughs> yeah. oh i believe it uh, <laughs> sorry y'all nope. i love this stuff <laughs> it's awesome and it shows but that's that's amazing cuz that's what you do that's your that's what lights you up your creator Thank you.
1: yeah
0: so what are you working on now writing wise what can we expect Ooh, to see? Okay. I have made announcements about this,
1: so I have no guilt in telling people all the things. So I am working on um, two series simultaneously, which is a challenge because these are epics in the fantasy oh, sense. Wow. They are they are each their own individual world. I have developed extensive histories for both of them. They each have unique magic systems like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, Wraithblade is the first one that's going to become Coming out. Um, I would like that to come out in May. I, with the whole COVID thing, I, I'm just being very careful about how I launch now. Mm-hmm. But um, we're looking at probably May for Wraithblade. And then the other series is called Blazebound. And that's going to be coming out hopefully in June or July. But mm-hmm. that one isn't as far along as, as Wraithblade, so I'm not entirely sure yet. Okay. Um, we've already sold audio rights for Wraithblade, which is really cool. Wow. I also work with Tantor. Which is just this fun new experience. I haven't gotten to have yeah, a fantastic congrats. audio company, and I'm
0: so excited. That's exciting.
1: Yeah. Um, and then I haven't sold rights for Blaze Brown yet because it's not really far enough along for me to comfortably release them mm-hmm. yet. Um, but we will see what happens. So Wraithblade is a hard magic system world. Uh, but Wraithblade is about a peasant in an epic fantasy world who suddenly becomes fused with the darkest magic in the land, and everyone around him starts hunting him. And he's a survivor. So that is his one asset against these basically armies of elite magical warriors. And the whole beauty of Wraithblade is actually the magic system. It's one of my favorite parts about it because it is a hard magic system. And and really all I've ever written is moderate to soft. Yeah. So this truly is this beautiful, exciting new challenge for me. Very cool. And I I have had so much fun with it. And so the coolest part of the world for me right now, besides the characters whom I just in love with. Is um, the, the magic system and the, this concept of reagents. So everything in this world is based on potions, and all the magic comes from potions. And so basically, this this ore called spellgust gets refined, and that's the source of all magic. It's the spellgust ore, and uh, there's multiple refining methods. And basically, if you have money, you have magic. And so I really looked at how inherently no one is really better at magic than anyone else. It's just where you lucky enough to grow up with it oh, in your okay. world and you understand how to use it. And basically power in this world relates to how many potions does your family, how many recipes does your family own? And so it's interesting to see the cultural and economic yeah. impacts of that as it plays out within the oh, series.
0: Fascinating. Thank you. And then
1: Blade Bound is very much a coming of age. Wraithblade is, is more so a man finding family. Okay. And his purpose. It's about fathers and sons. It's about protecting what you never trusted yourself to protect before and letting yourself be happy. That's mm. what Wraith is.
0: That's good. And Blaze Bound,
1: thank you. Blaze Bound is coming of age. It's about the implications of having power and how power can both protect or destroy. And okay. so everything in Blaze Bound is more of a soft to medium magic. It's, it's a little more what I'm familiar with in the wheelhouse of what I've been doing up to this point. Mm-hmm. and um it is fire based but fire has to come from somewhere and it has to burn something oh and that is i don't want to give too much away but that is the crux of the magic system in that nice. one. and the, the very few anyone can technically get power but there's a lot of religious control over how it's distributed so there's okay. a lot of elitism there's a lot of um, there's a wealth disparity within it. There's a 1% definitely. And so we get to explore a different kind of cultural implication and economic implication with So I really like to
0: have diversity and, yeah. and just expansive
1: worlds within the stories.
0: Love it. Oh, I'm excited. Thank you. So you mentioned, um, during this time of COVID nineteen, um, I I tend to not like to date the podcast, but because this is such a global um, tragedy that we are all experiencing and being affected in different ways, how has how has this impacted you or business or creativity? And really, I guess it doesn't even need to be limited to COVID nineteen. This could be for any you know, how do we deal with being creatives during trauma or difficult things that we have no control over?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and I think the most important thing we can do is take the time to feel. I think a lot of times we villainize, sorry, we vilify um, crying, we vilify feeling, mm-hmm. we vilify the idea that, um, you know, crying is weak, emotions are weak. Oh, you shouldn't you shouldn't feel bad. It's basically, if you hear yourself shooting, that's what I call it. Don't shit on yourself. Um, <laughs> <I> <laughs> if, you, like if you, if you, you should on yourself, then yeah. that's not really you.
0: Yeah,
1: That's not really what you think. That's not really what you want. That's what you feel you're supposed to want. Right. And in something like COVID we're in the middle of a global trauma. And the thing with trauma is we can't fully process it. We can't fully heal from it until it's over. And right now, some of the most devastating, like the most devastating part of this is that we don't know when it's going to be over. right. There's, there's so much uncertainty, there's so much unknown, there's so much pain, there's so much just heartbreak mm-hmm. right now. And it is really difficult to create when you're in the midst of that. So mm-hmm. I'm very lucky in a way, because I built my structure before all this hit. Yeah, I knew that, Writing for me is a non-negotiable thing. And if I don't do it, I start tweaking out. And I'm only partially kidding. I, I go a little crazy if yeah, I'm not no, I writing get it. Yeah. regularly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I have several rituals and routines when I sit down to write that really help me escape whatever's oh, going on in my world. Um, I'm very visual. So um, I light a candle when I'm working, and that's always on when I'm working. And then when I blow it out, I'm done for the day. Hmm. And I also wear a necklace, a very specific necklace, every time I write, and that helps me immerse in the world. And I just kind of, you know, symbolically, when I take it off, all of the character's problems that I was working through, they they hang out on the necklace until I'm ready to dive back in. Oh. And, and that may not work for everybody, but because I'm very visual and very um, tangible things have really profound yeah. impact on me. So. When I have that little routine, it, it it really works. And actually, this is really funny. Um, I I uh, finished writing one morning, and I had an appointment at one o'clock. And I, I just I kind of was I was on the go, and I needed to stop by the bank on the way. And in the bank, I noticed that I was kind of absent and a little spacey. <laughs> and I was just like, I could hear what they were saying, but it took me a second or two longer than it should have to like process all their questions. Uh huh. And I I came out of there feeling kind of like. What is wrong with me today? And I sit down in the car and I look down and I'm wearing my necklace, like, oh, I'm still in saldia. Huh? that's what that's why I'm having trouble like interacting with humans because I'm thinking about vocals and interesting and magic potions, and yeah. yeah, so it actually works for me, but I think the key is to find ways to metaphorically shut the door. Yeah, I think it was Virginia Woolf who said that. I think she was speaking specifically about women, but in general, creatives need a place, a a room with a door. Creatives need a room with a door. And they need a place to shut out the world and just breathe something into existence because that is such an integral part of our happiness and our livelihood and our ability to function is to create.
0: Yeah. Oh, I like that. I had, um, I, I can't remember who it was. I was listening to someone that used green running shoes for when he would write. So he'd put on the shoes, and while it. he was wearing it, he knew I'm writing, that's all I'm doing, and then he would take off the shoes, and uh-huh. you know, switch to whatever else he was doing. But yeah, just those, those symbolic things that trigger something in our minds that, oh, okay, this is what we're doing, and now mm-hmm. we're done, yeah.
1: Yeah, you know what's funny is, I have a literal hat that I wear when I edit for writers that I mentor. Oh. I literally put on a hat that, and that helps me. It's the same hat every time it's, it's my voice hat. And when I can do that, then I can like be brand editor for them. And, you know,
0: yeah. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. like that. That's, it, okay. that's real thing. You're like, this is what we're doing now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, that's great. So I remember that you, um, this was a while back, but, um, that you were making jewelry. Are, are you still doing that or do you have other creative outlets that you engage in still? Yeah, that's a great question.
1: Um, and I, and I specifically love this question because most creatives are multi- passionate. Mm -hmm. We love a lot of different things. We just like Mm -hmm. to create. And the whole thing with being in that creative energy is typically you can only do it for about three to four hours at a time. And I've seen a couple studies on that, but I can't remember the name of them. So maybe that's just hearsay. But typically, you can work on something creative for about three to four hours a time. And you need a break. You need to step away from it. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you can step away for it until the next day. But you still want to create. You still want to do stuff. So we tend to create multiple hobbies around Mm -hmm. that. With jewelry, this actually started because I was too stubborn to pay someone to make me a tree of life pendant. (laughs) So I was like, "Screw it! I'll learn how to make it myself. I'm smart," <laughs> and I did. I don't know if it looks as good as theirs. It was probably better to just buy it from them, but it's a, it's a, it's a nice little hobby. And um, from there, I got into—I did wire wrapping for a time, and then I got into eating. The downside of a hobby like that is I have about a 200 bracelets. <laughs> I'm never going to wear them all. And some of them are not even my thing. You know, they they don't even fit me. It's just I wanted to make them and they're pretty. Uh, So either everyone in my life is going to get bracelets for the rest (laughs) of their lives or I need a way to sell these. And so my tendency is typically to turn any kind of hobby into something profitable. And I don't think Mm -hmm. I'm alone in that. I think a lot of creatives try try to figure out a way to profit on this. And Uh it's totally normal. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think what I noticed was when I started trying to create an online business to sell these things, Uh it required effort, attention, It required. It was this whole other business. And I wanted to treat it like a side gig, but you don't create a renowned jewelry brand as a side gig. Mm -hmm. And, And even on Etsy, it's so flooded with jewelry that nothing was sewn. And so I realized that the more I tried to make this work as a business, the less I enjoyed it, and the less I did it. Hmm. So that is kind of the give and take. It's, yeah. You can you can just
0: have a hobby, and you don't have to profit off the hobby. Yeah, and I, I think maybe you probably even should. <laughs> you probably should because it's important to have
1: something that's just for you. Yeah, and and again, you know, everyone in my life, you're, you're just all going to get bracelets for the rest of forever. So. <laughs> make space in your jewelry box because that's what's coming <laughs> for Christmas. <laughs> so uh, that, what I did find was um, I found a local artist guild that has a storefront at a mall. Hmm. And they're kind of tucked away in the back. They, um, they don't get a lot of traffic, but I sell maybe a couple pieces every month. And it doesn't cost a lot for me to put my displays in there. So that makes me feel good because at least I'm not wearing it. At least somebody gets to enjoy it, even if it's looking at it for a second. So yeah. that feels good to me. And it's a business write-off. And it all it works for me. That's a nice compromise for me. Okay. If anybody wants to go buy jewelry, check out the uh, Sunset Mall in Las Vegas.
0: <laughs> My stuff's in there. Oh, that's great. And I think that is important. Just to have something that's yours that you know you can yeah. escape to do or that you need a break from your other creative outlets just to have something different and sometimes it's really great to have a tangible thing to do with your hands yeah my husband makes fun of me because I
1: can't just talk on the phone I have to (laughs) pace while I talk on the phone this is kind of like I'm seated while we're doing this and I'm fidgety as hell (laughs) my husband's like that
0: Well, do you have any final thoughts to encourage other creatives, uh, especially during this time or really during any any time? I think that remembering your why
1: is probably the most important thing mm. at, at any given time, it's at a good any one. point in your life, to live and breathe from your why and come back to it mm-hmm. when you feel lost. Because if you have that guiding why, what that really is, is your purpose. And we put so much, as humans... We strive to find purpose every day. Yeah. yeah, it's it's what fuels us. It's what gives us meaning. Because I think we're all a little bit nihilistic, just by like default. <laughs> so having purpose helps us breathe through that fear of the unknown and breathe through yeah. that fear of death and breathe through that fear of. But what if this doesn't mean anything? Well, your mm-hmm. life has meaning, and especially your life has meaning you give it. Mm-hmm. And I think as long as you, if in those moments where you do feel uncertain, where you do feel lost. Come back to who you are. Come back to what you know and trust yourself. I know that can be so hard to do sometimes. Mm -hmm. But trust that you know what to do and trust that if you come back to why you do what you do, you will never be lost.
0: Mm, That's good. Thank you. So the big final question, how hard was it to censor yourself? Oh my God. I'm (laughs) just
1: like tweaking. (laughs) Shake. <laughs> Shake it out. <laughs> it was, I, I can't tell you how many F bombs I wanted to drop. I'm really proud of myself. I did effing, and that was the extent. That was my one. That was my so one. Awesome. I did it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, well, this is so fun,
1: Morgan. Thank you for
0: having me. I oh, really enjoyed it. I'm so here. glad you're here. How, hey? how can our listeners find you? Where, where should they go to follow you to find your books? Yeah, sure. Right now I am on Amazon and,
1: uh, that's, that's exclusively on Amazon for pretty much everything. Okay. I'm probably going to take the Grimoire Saga off Amazon in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, and it will be available everywhere. It's probably going to be June. Okay. So check out Amazon. My website is smvoice.com. And I am on Instagram, Facebook, pretty much everything as the SM Voice because SM Voice originally was taken on Twitter. So hmm. I had to get creative. Okay. It's <laughs> Actually, funny story about that. I yeah. still feel bad about this to this day. But um, when I joined Twitter, I, I couldn't get SM Voice because a gentleman already had it. And so, um, I took the SM voice and everybody was tweeting him. Oh no. Instead of me. And he was like, girl, tell him to stop. I'm like, I'm sorry. I I, I'm not telling them to go there, I promise. And he finally, he finally, he was so sweet. He messaged me and he's like, just take it. (laughs) I felt so bad. Well, thank you for letting me have it. I really appreciate it. And I felt so bad that I drove him off the handle. Oh, my God. I felt so guilty. And it wasn't even intentional. It wasn't. He just got sick of people being like, are you SM boys the author? No. No. (laughs) Oh, shoot. To to this day, to the poor gentleman who gave up his Twitter handle to me, thank you so much. I am still immensely grateful for that. (laughs) And I'm so sorry. So sorry.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, we will make sure and link all of your links in the show notes. Okay. Thank you Thank so you. much for spending time with us and sharing Absolutely. all your insights and your journey with us. We appreciate it. My absolute treat. I'm happy to come back anytime. Awesome. Awesome. If you enjoyed this or any of the episodes in the Lotus Bloom podcast, please consider subscribing where you listen. You can also leave a review and share with your friends. It means the world to a growing podcast and it means the world to me. Thank you.